Well, we are going to continue on this morning uh, in the book of Mark. Um, So open your Bibles, turn them on, whatever you do, to Mark chapter 11, verse 1. And we're going to look this morning at the triumphal entry of Jesus. So remember, we've, 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 we, as we look back, we look back just a little bit here, we see that Jesus has been leading the charge, if you will, all the way up to Jerusalem, knowing that, that this is it, this is kind of the final chapter for him, this is the culmination of his ministry, his ministry has been fulfilled, and now he's heading to basically his death, he's, he's, he's heading to, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And, and, and he's on his way, and Pastor Mike preached last week about blind Bartimaeus. What, I just love the story of, of Bartimaeus there, and, and what, a, what an amazing picture, too. I mean, you know, Jesus, just his, his selflessness as he's marching through, and he's headed up by Jericho there, and, and, and this blind beggar yells out to him, and, and doesn't just yell out anything, but yells out specifically, you know, son of David. Have mercy on me. He's, he makes this proclamation that says, I know who you are. I recognize you that, you, that you're the Messiah. You're the awaited one, you know, and, and just have mercy on me. And Jesus stops for him on his way to his death, on his way to, you know, not just ridden in anxiety or anything, but just, just continuing to do what he does, right? Calls him up and, 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 and asks an interesting question of him. What do you want me to do for you? To me, it would have been obvious. I would have been like, watch everybody while I heal this guy of his blindness. Right? Bam! Ooh, got it, you know. But not Jesus. He asks. He, he, and, 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 you know, that guy could have said, you know what? My finger is so sore from holding my cup. Would you fix my finger? But he didn't. He recognized, I have a need to see. I, I need a need for clarity, for vision in my life, and it just should be a, a prayer, an ongoing prayer for, for each and every one of us. And so, so now we see that, that Jesus is, is coming, he's, he's drawing near, he's coming up to Jerusalem, it says, to Bethpage and Bethany. He's at the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told him that Jesus had said that, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it all, was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So, all four of the Gospels give us an, a, an account of, of this. We're calling this morning's message Made to Praise. That, that, that this is the function. This is, this is what we're called to. 
And so Jesus, it says that he draws near to, uh, to Jerusalem here, and he gives instruction to his two disciples. Notice, too, that he, he sent them out in pairs. Jesus is always about teams. He rarely is sending anybody out alone or individuals. He, he sends these two out, and he's like, hey, go get the, the, the colt, the donkey colt, and, and if anybody you know, asks you about it, tell them that the Lord has need of it kind of a thing. And, and um, so, so they go out, right? And, and it says they go there and somebody's like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, what are you, what are you doing grabbing that coal? And he says, well, the, the, you know, the Lord has need of it. And they, oh, okay. All right. And we'll bring it back. I, I just think, I think it's really interesting that, that it would have this idea that, that the Lord has need of it. And I think that it, there's, a, there's a message in there for us, too, like that the things that we have, the, the possessions that we have, the, the things that we're in stewardship over in our lives, we should have kind of open hands with those things. We shouldn't be gripping those things. If the Lord has need of it, if it would further the kingdom, if there's a way for the things that we have to, to further the kingdom, then we should have really open hands with that, and we should be willing that... That, that if there's a kingdom use for those kinds of things, that it would find its application there. And so, um, you know, as we, as we look at this, we, we see that they, they bring this colt back, and it says specifically that no one has ever ridden this colt before, which I've said before, it just goes to prove that Jesus is a cowboy, right? Because Jesus is going to put the first ride on this colt, and he's not just going to put the first ride on this thing in a round pin. He's riding the thing straight into the middle of Jerusalem, you know? But anyway, um, Jesus don't care. He's he's like, the thing's not broke. Bring it to me, and and, and we'll get there. And and it's significant, and many of you know this, but we'll go over it anyway, but it's very significant that this is a, a, a donkey, a colt kind of a thing. Because this is the fulfillment of, of some uh, prophecy here. Um, it, as a matter of fact, it, 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 in, in Zechariah 9.9 here, we see that it says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so... So this is a, a fulfillment of prophecy, but, it, but it's also um, very much, uh, it, it's, it means something when a king comes riding into uh, a town and he, what he's riding on makes a difference. If he comes riding a donkey, it means that he's come to make peace. And, and, and Jesus, the being the prince of peace, has come at this time and in this place and this space to bring peace to you and I. To, to bring the, the opportunity of, of peace, not, not necessarily a, a, a global peace or, a, or an absence of conflict between nations and things like that, but a way that you and I can have peace with a holy and righteous God. He, he's come to pay the, the penalty for sin, and so it's, it's very important here that he's riding on this donkey because it's indicative of his mission and why he's come. He's come to bring peace to the world. It's it's very different um, than what it will look like in the very end. In the end, it says that he comes back, and, and he comes back. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 tells us this. It, it says that, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judge and makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword to which to which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus has come, and as we see this triumphal entry, it's this, it's this time period and it's this time slot in which he's come to make peace. And he's come as the Prince of Peace, but when he returns... It's a different picture. He comes back as the righteous one. And, and if a king came riding into a town on a horse, on a, on a stallion, it meant that he came to wage war. And it means that the, the idea and the imagery here is that, is that he's pure and that he's perfect and that this is a complete thing. And his, his robe has been dipped in blood because he's coming. And, he, and, and that was the means by which peace was, was come. But, but there's a day when this all culminates and when it ends and when judgment truly comes to the world, when, when, when the king of kings and the Lord of lords is truly going to take the books and he's going to make them all right. And for some, that's going to be... It's going to be a, a, a terrible day. Those who are outside, those who haven't accepted his terms of peace, it's going to be an awful day. So we see here, too, another fulfillment of prophecy is, is in Daniel. Daniel 24 through 26 is, is a prophetic word about when the Messiah would be coming into Jerusalem. So as Jesus rides up, and in this entire time frame, the Jewish people are expectant of the Messiah because they understand this prophecy, and they're, they're waiting in this time frame expecting him to show up. And I'm sure there's been lots of kooks show up, too, at the same time, you know. A, a lot of false uh, messiahs and all kinds of things have went on. But it says this in Daniel 9, it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And, and so everything about this prophecy is about the culmination of this time and of this period, the sealing of it, the completed, completion of it. And, and, and it is talking about here about Jesus. Now, now, this thing is kind of this interesting thing because it's, it's laid out in weeks, but at times when the Jewish people began to talk about years, they would clump years into seven-year periods, and they would call them weeks. And so this is where we're at, and so basically we're looking at this 77-year periods, which ultimately would add up to be about 490 years. Now, we're, we're going to minus one of those because, because it says that after an initial seven weeks, there's 62 more weeks, right? And, and, and so there's, there's basically um, 
basically we've got uh, 483 years with, with, with a final seven-year period that is yet, really, I, I would say, and a lot of scholars would say, is yet to come. That, that basically that there was a completion of this time, and then, and then the, the clock is paused, and then now there's the church age in which we live, in which the church is, is meant to go out and have this message of peace and, and this, this idea, this understanding, and to tell people that the Prince of Peace has come, that he's come to make peace, and it's, there's still time to be at peace with God. And, and, and so the, the interesting thing is that we actually, we, we have this thing that says that when there's a decree, basically, that, is gone, that goes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, then we could start the time clock. And, and that's an interesting thing because basically, if, if, if we looked into the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2, we would see that Nehemiah begins to ask King Artaxerxes for permission to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So that roughly is March. We're told it's the month of Nisan. It's, it's the month of March, basically, and it's in 455 B.C. And, and so if you, if you take that forward and you begin to look at this time clock and you recognize that the Jewish calendar is at 365 days, it's a lunar calendar based on 360 days, it's going to take you exactly, many scholars say, to the very day that Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem. Now, when he rides in at this point, it's very significant too because this is also the day that the priests will be selecting the lamb that is going to become the, the, the giving or the, the sacrifice for the people for the Passover. And so all of this stuff is, is not by accident. God, is, God has got this time frame. He's got this, this prophetic clock that, is, that has come down. Um, and, and, and so... We look at this and, and, and we recognize that this is an incredibly significant and on-purpose day and time, and everything about it is happening exactly as it should and in the way that, that, that makes sense to the people. Interesting, we, we, when we look around and we start to look through the other Gospels, because all four accounts give this, and even though we're in the book of Mark, we need to continue to look around at the other accounts because when we look at the other accounts, it helps us to have a fullness of, of, of what's going on. John tells us this, that the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So remember, this is all just part of this is that Jesus has also has brought this guy Lazarus out of the tomb raised him from the dead, and, and people are, are there, and they're incredibly excited. Let's paint the picture. This is a joyous, amazing time, and they are pronouncing him to be who he truly is right here on earth. They are crowning him king. They're laying their coats in front of him. They're laying branches in front of him because this is what you do when the king is coming up the road. And they're yelling out things, Hosanna. Hosanna means basically to save us. It, it means defend us, deliver us, help us, preserve us, rescue us, bring salvation to us. And, and so they're, they're yelling out Hosanna. They're, 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 yelling out, um, they're yelling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verses 19 through 26, a prophetic psalm says this, starting in verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. 
I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So when they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it's not a random saying that they're saying. They're, they're proclaiming these prophetic words and they're proclaiming the reality of them and that these things are taking place in their very presence and before them. When they talk about the, key, the, the throne of David, remember the, the prophetically there's a promise that was given to David that said that, that one of his uh, one of his lineage would sit perpetually on the throne forever and forever and forever. And here comes Jesus fulfilling that very place. When we look to Luke 19, we see that some of the Pharisees in the crowd start, they're recognizing what's being said. They're, it's very plain. They're be, it's being told that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is equal to God, is what is being said and proclaimed at this very place and they get it, and they are trying to shut everybody up, and they're saying, whoa, wait a minute, you're, you're, all of these people are, are um, they're blaspheming is what they're doing. This is rebuke your disciples, shut them up. They're, they're speaking blasphemous things. They're, they're giving Jesus equality with God. This is blasphemy. And Jesus has an interesting response to that. He answered them, and he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out that, that this is a point and a time. There is a truth that is running through history at this point in time that cannot be deterred. It cannot be changed. This, this truth is, is happening before them in their, in their very eyes. And, and Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, hey, um, he says, look, um, uh, the rocks will cry out if they don't. And this is kind of an interesting thing. There's, there's a couple of different thoughts on this, a couple of different takes on it. Um, and, and so uh, one is, you know, obviously that, that all of creation speaks to who God is. And we'll look to that in a minute. And, and just saying that, look, if they don't praise me, these rocks are going to, they're going to give testimony to them. But I think there's a really interesting thing that's going on here. And I think that it's fully well known by them. Remember, all that they had is the Old Testament. Right? They don't have any New Testament to go off of at this point. And, and so if we look back into Joshua, in 24, chapter 24 of Joshua, we'll see an interesting thing. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Joshua gathered um, all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. 
And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, you know, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I, I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, I was, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And then it goes on, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in, in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that he went among the peoples, although through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will, he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and, and do harm and consume you, and, and having done you good after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the peoples that day and put in place stat statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth, the, the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And then it said after that that Joshua died. And kind of an interesting picture in this idea of, of, of this idea of, of, of remember all of the things that God has done for you. Remember all of the things and then choose to serve him and him alone. And as Jesus rides up into Jerusalem, he's, he's making this thing to the people. The people are proclaiming him to be who he is. And, and he says, it's right. It's right that they're, that they're calling me king, that they're uh, calling upon me to save them because I'm the savior. Everything about this is right. And, and these, this stone will bear witness against you if you don't. 
That, that this stone will cry out to the reality of, of who I am. That creation itself will speak to the reality of, of who he is. That this truth is inescapable. All creation gives glory to God. All, all of the stones and the rocks and, and everything. Psalm, Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for his son. Isaiah 55, 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You see, Jesus is saying, after all that I've done, after all that you've seen, after all the miraculous things that have happened and done, you have a decision to make and you have a decision to make right now. Are you going to choose me or are you going to reject me? And if you reject me, then this, all of creation bears witness against you. It bears witness to the reality of who this God is. People are made to proclaim the glory of who God is. Rocks aren't. Rocks do in a way, I get it, but, but you and I are created and we're here specifically to proclaim the goodness and the glory, to crown him king, to recognize the reality of who he is. And that we are a people who are called to proclaim his goodness and his kingdom, to proclaim his gospel message throughout the world. In every arena of life, we have answers We've been given answers that God has, God has shown us things about life and how to do life. And we have the great privilege to speak those words in that life and that truth into the world around us. And not just the great privilege, but the responsibility to do that. The world out there is like a drunk guy going through a narrow hallway bouncing off of this wall and then that wall and this wall and that wall, going from this thing to that thing, thinking that this is going to bring life and this is going to bring identity and this is going to bring meaning, and they cannot find it because they began to reject the one who can. They've, they've, they've rejected the real truth. You and I are made for this very moment, for this very time, for this pause that God has between him coming as the Prince of Peace and when he comes as the judge of the world, we're here as his ambassadors, as his, as his people to proclaim this message. So the big question is, are we shouting his, king, his kingdom to the world around us or are we silent? Are we talking about him? Are we bringing the Bible and, and its truth and its goodness to our neighbors and to the people around us? Are we praising and proclaiming him in what we do, in all that we do, whether it's good or it's bad, whether it's easy or it's hard, is he on the throne and is he worthy of our praise? 
When we, when we buried Callie, my daughter, the first thing that we did was we praised God. And that was on purpose because God was still worthy of praise at that moment. He was still on the throne. Nothing had changed. This truth that I'm telling you that intersects through the middle of this world in life, nothing had changed about that. As a matter of fact, it was more real to her than it was to any of us that were there at that moment. He's worthy. And he's worthy right here, and he's worthy right now, regardless of what's going on. What's going on in our church, what's going on in our world, what's going on in our political landscape, what's happening in your home, he's still worthy to be praised because nothing has changed about the truth of who he is. And when we begin to praise him, it begins to change things. It may not change your external situation, but it will change your internal situation. You'll begin to be thankful. You'll begin to be grateful for some things. You'll begin to live in an authentic reality that you were made to live in. You'll begin to understand how to be thankful in all circumstances and the peace that transcends all understanding will rest on you and me. See, we live in the already but not yet. It's settled, it's done. Jesus is triumphant. There's no other outcome that's gonna happen other than what this book lays it out to be. Now, we're waiting for all of that to unfold and for all of that to come to its, full, its culmination. But for today, we live out of a place of needing to understand deeply that he is triumphant and that he's sitting on the throne today and that he is worthy of all that we have. And if there were anything that he would say to us the Lord has need of it. We would recognize that it's not ours anyway. It was always his. The earth and all that it contains is his. And we're merely stewards over what he has. And when we can be stewards with open hands, it's a whole different place. So, couple things. One is this. Ordinarily, it's the first weekend. On the first weekends, we do communion. I prayed about that a lot, and I decided that we are not doing communion today because we have division in our church. And so I don't want to put us all in a bunch of awkward spots about communion today, but we will have communion soon. Um, today, as, as was announced, we're going to have a, a family meeting at 11, uh, eat up, catch up, kind of pray up, we're going to have an opportunity to talk and to visit and to hear one another. Um, and we're going to do that, you know. Families have struggles at times. It's not unusual. It's not anything different. Um, it happens. And so we're going to talk. That's okay. And we're going to remember who's on the throne. And we're going we're to remember that And we're gonna, as we talk and it's kind of an interesting thing. I have, I have, I have a lot of interesting neighbors. And um, the, the lady literally next to me is, is Wiccan. She's a, she's a witch. She'll just tell you straight up she's a witch. Okay? 
And she practices all kinds of stuff. She has crystal balls. She, she all that stuff. I love her. She's a blessing. And then I have, we have a Buddhist lady over here. And then I have another lady over here that's kind of a Episcopalian Buddhist or something like that, I think, you know. <laughs> and, and yesterday she, she came by and she was visiting with me and she said, uh, how are you doing, you know? And she sat down and we started talking. And she, she always she comes over to our house and she starts talking about struggles she's having often and, and stuff. And she said, well, how's things going, you know, with you? And how's, how's the church going? And I said, well, to be honest with you, you know, we're having some struggles right now. And she said, oh, wow. She said, yeah, um, you know, that, that kind of happens, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it does, you know. I said, you know why? And, and she, she said, uh, you know, I don't know. She said, it happens in Catholic church and all kinds of churches and these different churches. I said, well, it's because there's people in them, you know. <laughs> and and, and, and she, said, um, she said, well, yeah. She said, then she said something interesting. She said, you know, she said, the only, the only group that I've ever seen that doesn't really have that is, is Buddhists. They don't really have any struggles that way. I said, well, they don't get together. <laughs> and she said, she said, well, they do. They get together like four or five times a year, like New Year's and stuff. And I said, we could probably handle that too. You know, like, like if we just got together Christmas Eve, Easter. But when we live in community, we have some struggles at times. So, so I want everybody to know, like, if you happen to be new or, or something like that, 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 and you choose to come, you're more than welcome to come, uh, of course, to our 11 o'clock meeting here. There's going to be some food and stuff like that, but just, just know that it, it, you know, it might not look, be like our regular 11 o'clock meetings that we try to have at different times. So in lieu of, but in lieu of um, taking communion this morning, I, I, before I pray, I, I would just like us to just take a minute of just all of us introspection. And just get before the Lord for a minute. We're just going to take some silence, just some quiet time. And I just want to encourage everybody here to just get before the Lord, to remember that, that, that what this is about is it's, it's about looking to him. It's about who he is. It's about praising him in the midst of everything and recognizing that, that he's good and that he has plans for all of us. So let's just take a minute, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we just come giving thanks and proclaiming you king, knowing that you're on the throne, that, that, that nothing changes with you, that you're the same yesterday, today, and, and forevermore. For that, we're grateful, Lord, and, we, and we, so we're just, we're looking to you. We're praying, Lord, that you would meet us and, and, and help us. God, we're, we're, we're asking that you would forgive us, Lord. For the things that um, that we need forgiven, you've you've called us to 
to, to unity. And, and Lord, we, we struggle in that at times, and we just admit that before you, and we're asking your, your forgiveness, your restoration, Lord. We're, we're asking that you would just guide us and teach us, Lord, that you, you fill us with your spirit, that, God, we would all just be led by your spirit and, and that we would walk in, in what you have for us. Lord, we're grateful for this day. We're, we're grateful for, for your love for us. We're so thankful that you, that you ascended that hill, Lord, on our behalf, that you did what only you could do, that you've, you've brought life where there was no possibility for it, that you're, you're the one and you're the only one that, that could save us. And, and so, Lord, we're just asking that you just continue to, to rescue us, even from ourselves. Lord, just save us from us. We can be enough trouble for our own selves, Lord, for the day, and, and, and Lord, you know that. But, Lord, we're just looking to you. We're praising you. We're continuing to just trust in you more and more. And, Lord, we're just asking that you would grow us through this process, that, that, that Lord, your, your word promises us because we love you and we're, we're called according to your purposes to, to work things for the good. And so, Lord, we're asking that. And we're asking, Lord, that we could, we could find joy in the midst of, of the struggle. But that, Lord, that, because we have an assurance, Lord, that you're at work in the middle of it, that you, that you are taking things and that, that Lord, you're, you're creating good things within us, things like endurance and long-suffering and you're, you're, you're bringing us closer to you and you're, you're opening up... Uh, just uh, our perspective on who you are and, and what you're doing. And so, God, we just, we just want to give ourselves over to you. We want to praise you and continue to praise you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.